All right. Good morning, EBC. How are you guys doing? All right. I love, uh, love getting to uh, be with you guys this morning. I love preaching to this service. It may, it might, how about I say it this way? You might be one of my favorite services, just saying, all right? Just saying. Love preaching to you guys. We are in the middle of a series called Citizen Shift, and we're in the second week. And uh, go ahead and grab your Bibles, and we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 1. Go ahead and turn there with me, but we're also going to be looking in the Gospel of John and in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be digging into God's Word. We're so thankful about you being here with us. I love the uh, concept of that video, understanding. Understanding what the hope, real hope of America is, right? Is Christ through his church. It is T minus eight days until election day. How many of you are ready for it to be over with? Would you raise your hands? Yes, okay. How many of you, you went and voted this past week, early voting? How many hands? Raise them up high. That's right. You guys are the later service. I forgot, right? All the ha- You should have seen the hands in the early service. Everybody was up. They're the early ones and everything, right? How many of you might vote this week? How many of you, right? Okay. Fantastic. And uh, I tried to go vote on uh, Friday. I only had a small window of time. I got to the polling place. The, the line was wrapped around the building. It was unbelievable, okay? So I'm going to have to try to go this week. But, uh, well, last week in our series, as we've been talking about what it means to have a citizen shift, what does that mean? Last week, we focused on what is called the sovereignty of God. You were just singing about it a few moments ago. We asked the question, who's really in control? Who's the one that's really in charge over this? The question you could ask today is, where is your citizenship really found? Okay, But number one, who is really in charge? What do we learn from Scripture whenever we look in God's Word last week? We learn this. So no matter who is elected, right, who takes the reins of leadership on November 8th, which political party, which political candidate does, whoever sits in the Oval Office when they're inaugurated in in January, right, whoever that is, what we learn is we're reminded that God will always be in control. Amen, right? God is always in control. God is the one, we learned last week, God sets up kings and kingdoms. And God is the one that takes them down when he's ready to take them down. God is the one who is sovereignly over control. He's in charge of all of that. So no matter what happens and the change that happens and change is going to happen on November 8th, we understand that, that uh, when that leadership change happens that Jesus has always been, he currently is, and will still be on the throne of heaven even on November 9th. Amen, church, right? He's still in control. So how does that, when you understand the sovereignty of God and you understand that God is working all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose, when you grasp that as a believer, how does that begin to make you feel? It should begin to erase and remove some of the fear and anxiety that we can so be so prone to have during seasons of change and seasons of unrest like we're going through right now. It should begin to remove that. We don't have to be anxious is what we learned last week. We know that no matter what happens, God's got this, right? God has this. God's in control. No matter what party, I'm not, I'm not pointing you towards either way. Um, what I'm trying to show you is that God is sovereignly in control. So what is our response? What did we say last week? Our response is while we await the return of the one true king of kings, while we as a church await his return, what do we do? Do we withdraw uh, and live kind of just in a compound or anything like that? No, we engage the culture. We engage the culture that we live in. Scripture says that we, are, that we are to be in the world, but not what? 
of the world. We're in the world. We're engaging culture. Like the video said, we're being light. We're being salt in the darkness. We shouldn't, church, be surprised that there's darkness in our nation. It shouldn't surprise us. But instead, we should realize we've got a great responsibility We've got a great responsibility to be who God has called us to be. So we engage our culture. What do we say? We vote our values. We need to understand what values are and the values that are Christ's values in our lives. We'll probably be looking more at that some next week and understanding what Christ-like values really are, unchanging values. What do we say thirdly? We said we should be praying for our nation. We should be praying for our leaders, even the ones that we don't agree with politically. We are called by God to pray for our leaders. We are called by God. Paul told, or Peter told us this. Paul told us this. Pray for your leaders. And we also should do our civic responsibilities, which are pay our taxes. Jesus said, pay your taxes. Jesus said, do your, your part in your community. Serve your country. Serve your nation. He said all of these, or, or really lived all of these kinds of things out. Some of us, we, sh- we said, should even run for public office. Man, there'd be nothing that we would love more than to see some good, godly people get in places of leadership uh, in our community, in, in our state, in our city, right? I mean, that, that's something that God may call some of you to do. I'd probably vote for you, just letting you know, okay? And, and here's the other thing that we said. More than anything, you know what we're called to do, church? We're called to trust and rest in God. Church, we're supposed to be different than the rest of the world, We're supposed to be different in how we handle things like what's happening in our culture today and what's going on around us with all of the unrest and the divisiveness and all of that. We're supposed to be different than that. We we don't need to be adding and fueling that. We need to be stability because Christ is the stability within us. We should be standing out positively right now, not being a negative influence. Why? Because uh, here's the thing. We can view our politics through a different lens. Our politics should be viewed through the lens of God's sovereignty. Now, notice that we're not saying don't get involved. We're saying get involved. We're saying do your part. Be engaged. Do your part in in our community and in our nation. But here's the thing that we have to really hold on to is as the church, we should never be freaking out. We should never be acting like God doesn't have this. We should be so stable in our faith in God and knowing that no matter what happens in this country, no matter what happens, you know, no matter if the church is per, God's got this, amen, right? He is our God who is able. Church, we're supposed to be different. Here's the other thing we're really wanting you to catch in this series, okay? What we want you to understand in this culture and in our world in which we live, when you get saved, God doesn't automatically take you up to heaven, does he? He leaves leaves you here as an ambassador of Jesus Christ and that we, that through Christ working through us, the church, that you need to understand, we fully believe this, that the church that is filled up with people filled with Christ within them, that that is the hope for our nation. It is not a political party or a political candidate that will be the savior of this nation. 
It is only Christ in us that is our hope, okay? The hope is not found in that kind of political mindset. The hope is found when Christ is being Christ through us, the church, and the church is being the church. That is where the hope is found. And by the way, who is the cornerstone of the church? Jesus Christ. He's the foundation, right? He's the foundation. What would it look like if the church really, if we really lived out our faith? If you want to really see powerful change in our country, and we want that, right? We know that something has to give. Something has to change. We're kind of off the rails morally and spiritually right now in so many different ways, right? Do you realize that the greatest movements, if you were to study church history and understand some of these things, some of the greatest movements throughout history was when the church of Jesus Christ became alive again. Whenever there was a spiritual awakening, study spiritual awakenings, you'll find that that is when nations were changed. That's whenever things happened, whenever God's people were, were alive and they were revived by the Spirit of God, right? Whenever the church understands as we live intentionally every day and take seriously the mission that Jesus gave us to be light in the darkness. That's our mission no matter who occupies the White House. And it's going to change every four or eight years, right? It's going to keep changing. Parties, do you notice they go back and forth and back and forth, and one's got the answer, the other one's got the answer. No, and, and it's like we kind of keep just getting sick with whatever's status quo is, and we're ready for another change. And what if we put our hope in the unchanging one who is Jesus Christ in our lives? I love what Shauna Salzito said. Shauna's in our, 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 our worship team. She's playing bass today, and uh, she does so many different things. And she said, she said, Pastor Bard, I'm so glad you're doing this series because I've really been kind of been worried and just struggling with that, and I appreciate you bringing it up. She said, I love that you are not pointing us to the left. You're not pointing us to the right. You are pointing us straight up to God, straight up to Jesus. And that's even in our imagery. Do you see that? Are you catching that? Right? That's where we want to point you. We want to point you to Christ first. We want to point you to what it means to be first a citizen in heaven. What does that look like? Go with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. We want to see this, that Paul writes to the church at at, at, uh, Philippi. They were Roman citizens. Rome was the world power. Rome was the superpower of the age, right? And these Philippians were proud of their Roman citizenship. But I want you to see, as Paul is writing in a Roman prison, in prison for the gospel of Jesus Christ, writing about joy, writing about hope, look at what he says in verse 27. He says to this church and he says to our church, right? Above all, you must live as, what does he say, church? Citizens of heaven. I want to just pause right there and I want you to understand the tense in that is right now. It's not when you get to heaven one day. You are a citizen of heaven right now, amen? Live as that is what he's saying. Live like you are a citizen of heaven because you are one. The moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you become a citizen of heaven. Now watch what he says. As you understand that, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news. When you see good news, what that is, that is the gospel of Jesus, okay? That is the gospel message of Jesus. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, living as a citizen of heaven, all right? This word, or this conducting yourselves, this phrase... In a manner worthy, it's actually one Greek word, and it literally means this. It literally means as a citizen. 
So he's saying, as a citizen of heaven, conduct yourselves in a manner living worthy as a citizen of the gospel is what he's saying. Living your citizenship out. He's talking to the church who were, were citizens of Rome there. He's saying, you've got to understand something. Number one, write this down. We must understand as citizens, many of us as the United States of America, we've got to understand that we have a dual citizenship. You have dual citizenship. We are citizens, many of us, of the United States. How many U.S. citizens do we have? Are you excited about that? Raise your hands. Yes. Come on. You got to raise your hands. Yeah. All right. How many of you love your country? Absolutely right. Don't we love that we get to live in America? Even if we don't agree with some of the things. We are blessed, aren't we? Most blessed nation so much. But as a believer, what we want you to get in this series is that your citizenship is also in heaven. In fact... To have a citizenship, you need to understand as a believer that your primary citizenship is in Christ first. It's understanding this, okay? Check this out today. It's understanding that our culture and our nation is constantly shifting its values. Doesn't that happen? Are you seeing that now? It's constantly changing and shifting and you see that, it, that that's what's happening before our very eyes and, and depending upon whatever your viewpoints are, for many of us that's very sad as we see that happening and, 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 and what happens is because our culture constantly shifts and is not steadfast, what that means is political candidates and political parties as a response to the shifting values of our culture Well, what will they often do? They will shift their values. Now, why will they shift their values to match the culture? You nailed it. They say, I want to get elected. And so I'm going to, in a political office, not all of them do this, but a lot of them do, I will shift and become chameleon-like to whatever the culture is so that I can get the votes that I need to get into the power that I want to have. And that is what happens in many cases, right? So we need to understand this. Our role, though, though, as the church is not to look towards any political party or political candidate as the savior of our nation. That's our role as a church. Now, again, I'm not saying don't be involved and engaged in the political uh, politics. And I'm not saying just, you know, you should abstain from that. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is this, is that it's not to place our faith in a party or in a candidate as a savior, They're not going to save America. That's not what is going to bring lasting change in America. We want to shift our attention as the church, as followers of Christ, especially in times like this, shift our attention, our dependence, our, here's a word, allegiance to Jesus and his values and his platform above everything else. Above everything else. And so in doing so, what we really believe is that Jesus as a church, here's what we believe. Jesus is the only one who can fix and remedy our ailing culture. He's the only one that, that can fix that, right? He's the only one that can bring about transformation and life change. And that comes through the gospel message of Jesus, which the church has been entrusted with to take to the world. So let me be clear. Lasting change, I mean, even car alarms are shifting all the time, right? Lasting change is not going to come through, it's not going to come through politics. Because that is always going to be shifting with times 
and the culture. Lasting change and true hope is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that very gospel, if you study history, that very gospel has the power to turn cultures and nations upside down. Did you know that? When you look at church history, when you look at world history, you'll find that cultures have been turned upside down and inside out. Do you know when? When the church has been alive. When the church is being the church. When spiritual awakening happens within the church. That's what you find. You find the entire Roman power, that Roman power that was persecuting the church, you find a complete shift that happens there. A shift that happens because these believers would not back down on their Christ values that they held to. Right Now, there were a lot of things that ended up happening through that, that it ended up perverting a lot of the power and stuff like that. But I just want you to understand, cultures get turned upside down. It's happened in Europe. It's happened in America. Just, just do, do a little study on spiritual awakenings, and it'll, it'll, really, it'll kind of blow your mind when you see how God has worked the, the greatest in, throughout the nation. Uh, our nation has, has come through spiritual awakening and revival of the church. It's come whenever that has happened, okay? All right? And so we want to be clear about that, that the gospel is what has the power to transform lives because the gospel is eternal. The gospel never changes. The gospel is what is steadfast. When politics of the age, it's temporary. Those things are changing and they're shifting. Uh, Big question. What would it look like if the church, that's us, what would it look like, like if instead of filtering our faith through oftentimes our political biases that we are all inclined to have, what would it look like if instead we always made certain to filter our politics through our faith first? I want you to ask that question to yourself. What would that look like, right? Because sometimes we can align more with, with a political party or, or other things that I'm going to show you here in a minute Sometimes we can align over that, sometimes even over our faith and over our own values, our Christian values. What if we filtered our politics through our faith, which is what we should filter everything through is our faith, our faith in Jesus Christ. Let's face it. This nation is very divided right now. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it doesn't take a a genius to figure that out. We're divided upon so many different lines. There's such a tension that is so prevalent right now. And it's a tension that we as those of us who are Christians, we feel this tension in our country right now. We feel as our country, perhaps we're feeling like we're, uh, as our country and the ideals of our, our American ideals are moving further and further away than what our Christian values are, right? Here's what I'm saying is our American culture and the shift towards morals and the manner in which it's happening and our Christian values that we hold to as followers of Christ, there's a tension that is starting to happen there now. It's a tension that, that we struggle with. These two things, American ideals and what, what we would call our nationalism, okay, and our Christian values, they seem to be getting further and further apart as each day goes by. Now, here's what that means, church. It means that as that's going on, that the church that used to be mainstream in our culture and in our society That church, that's us, is being pushed further and further to the outside and to the margins. I mean, it's happening. Do you know one of the fastest growing religious groups? It's called the nuns, and it's not a Catholic thing. It's N-O-N-E-S, nuns. Do you know what that means? Nothing. We don't espouse anything. 
Well, that's becoming one of the fastest growing groups in America today. And the church is becoming, or the America is becoming more and more unchurched as each year goes by. The churches are being pushed to the margins. Now, some of us, that terrifies us, but here's what I want to say to you. God is sovereign. Amen, right? Here's the other thing. Do you know when the church has been most alive throughout history? When the church has been on the margins. Because then you have to really think about what you believe. And then the church wakes up. And whenever the church starts getting persecuted for its beliefs, the church wakes up, right? And so we've got to look at this lens through all of this that God is working. God is at work in our nation. He's doing something. He Could it be that in this kind of season of unrest and in maybe in an area that we don't like how things are going politically, could it be that one of the things that God is doing is bringing the church back to a dependence upon him rather than upon a political party, right? I want us to start thinking that way. Do you, do you, so there's this tension. Many of us are struggling, even, even this election season, many are struggling with reconciling our faith and our values with the current politics that are being offered, It's a struggle for many, you know. We're saying, wow, these things uh, are difficult to reconcile in some ways, maybe more than ever now. Whether that's right or wrong, here's what I'm saying is I know that that is a way that a lot of people are feeling. It's something that people are struggling with. There's a tension that we feel within ourselves. So even explaining it a little bit further for you, okay, There was a time when within our culture you could say America, or as George Bush would say, America, right, okay? You could say America and you could say Christian, and for many, not all, but for many, those would almost seem synonymous, right? You follow me, okay? And, and, and now, what I'm not saying, I'm not saying this, I'm not saying that all people who are Americans were Christians because that is not what makes you a Christian, but many would kind of view that, okay? There was this, this mentality that those were almost synonymous. We can say this undeniably, if you study history and American history, you know this, that our country was founded upon uh, very Christian ideals, right? And, we, and, and I'm not saying all the founding fathers were believers. Not all of them were, but many of them were. Okay, and all you have to do is study history and understand some of that and know that it's undeniable that there was these, there was this foundation that was there. So as a result, okay, now here's what has happened. As a result, we, many of us have had our nationalism as Americans, maybe even our affiliation with a particular political party and our identity as a Christian kind of fused together. And yet one of the problems with this is that we can sometimes lose our Christian identity in our nationalism if we're not careful when that national identity starts to change. Because those things are going to change. So now... As our nationalism, or what our, and when I say that word, what I'm saying is what our nation stands for, what our culture, our American culture is currently embracing today, our identity as a a nation, how we're perceived by the rest of the world, right? As that gets further and further away from our Christian ideals and our values, many of us feel that sense of tension, right? I know you feel that. I know I felt that. Many of us want to hold on to this idea. And this is a valid hope, okay? 
I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wanting to hold on, hold on to this valid hope, hope that promotes strong Christian values. All right, There's nothing wrong with that. But, but what we're seeing right now is that that is not exactly happening, at least right now. American culture seems to be moving further and further away from the values of God on a daily basis. Right? And, and I'm going to show you something here in Scripture. So what that leaves many people feeling, and that's why maybe the response at the polls has been what it has been, is because many people are scared. Many people are feeling frustrated. Many are angry. Many of uh, those who would be millennials would use this word, disillusioned. Right? Maybe you don't even have to be a millennial to feel that way. Just kind of disillusioned right now. And what I've even heard from some, even though they may respond at the polls, is this an indifference. What I mean is, can we really make a difference? What's the point, right? I would even say this. Some of you, and along with me, I felt this too, have even felt this sad. And we mourn the loss, don't we? We have to own this as a church, that this happened. Now listen to me. I'm with you in this, okay? I'm not saying you did this. I'm saying we have to own this as the American church today that this happened on our watch. And do you know what that should do? It should break our hearts. And it should bring us to our knees before our God. But what if... What if that's what God's trying to do right now? Right? What if that's what he's doing? Is he saying, I am more concerned about the eternal status of my church in the world than I am about one election that is temporary? What if, doesn't God work in all things? We were just singing that. He works in all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. So we're feeling sad. And what we're living in now is a culture that is embracing kind of a spiritual Wild West mentality. It's kind of like what happened in Israel. This isn't the first time this has happened. It's not the first time it's happened to the church, not the first time it's happened to God's people. In fact, if you study and know any of your history of Israel, and I recommend that, you would understand that it happened with them too as they were God's people, right? Judges 21, 25, in those days Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar? I think it describes a culture in which we are living today. And it happened in Israel even after God did all these great things in Israel, Israel just became this moral and this spiritual wild west where anything goes. Forget what God says, we're going to become our own God. And that's what they did. They were in idolatry. And God, you should know, God never for, has forsaken them, still has it today, but God did bring Israel to her knees. If you know your Israel history, you know that that happened over and over again. 
There was a cycle of this, okay? And it's, it's, it sounds very familiar, right? And so here's, here, how, how are we going to respond um, as our national values move further and further away from our Christian values? What do we do with that? How do we cope with it? How do we conduct our lives as a citizen of heaven in this culture that is increasingly moving further and further away from the values of God? Um, how do we live as citizens of heaven? Write this down. Number two, this is big, right? You got to catch this today. The body of Christ, that's us. That's the, and I'm not just talking about Eagle's view, but I am talking about EBC. But I'm talking about the, the worldwide body of Christ must unify and focus upon our mission, our primary mission of extending God's kingdom rather than fixating upon that which divides us. We've got to focus on the primary mission, right? Many of you are probably familiar with uh, the 20th century, what happened in South Africa with apartheid and how in that nation they were so divided. There was a racial division that was a hostile racial division between white South Africans that were the 30% uh, and they were in control and they were oppressing, uh, brutally oppressing the 70% that was not in it, it had no rights and they were, the, they were the blacks and there was great hostility and racial division at this time in their country. White South African, the Afrikaners, that's what they were called, that minority was in political control. The blacks had no rights whatsoever. It was, it was a terrible time, much like our Jim Crow laws back in the days of segregation here. A man, though, by the name of Nelson Mandela. Many of you know who Nelson Mandela is. Many of you have probably seen Invictus, right? He was a black South African who was in prison for 27 years for his political views and the vision that he had to end what was called apartheid. Apartheid means apart, segregated, separate. And that is what this nation was. All right? It was a terrible time when Mandela finally gets out of prison after 27 years of being in prison for his political views when, he, when apartheid is finally abolished and the reins of control are actually handed over to the black majority now. Um, he is elected president. He went from being in prison to being president. Now he's the president of this nation and the black majority I'm just going to say they were ready to do what the world does. They wanted payback against those white oppressors. And that was what was about to happen until Nelson Mandela said, no, that is not what this nation needs. We don't need that kind of retribution, he would say. That's not what it means to be a good citizen of South Africa. We have been, he'd say things like, we have been divided long enough. What he said was, we need to, as a nation, unify. They were a nation so divided at one point that you know they couldn't even rally around their national rugby team which was all white, and it was considered a white sport. Did you know that whenever they would play other countries, that the blacks in the nation would root for the other countries, there was so much hatred for their white oppressors? I mean, it's easy to understand how that would happen, right? How would you feel? You'd feel the same way. But Nelson Mandela said, I'm going to use this opportunity where the World Cup is coming to South Africa, Johannesburg in 1995, and he became good friends with a man named Francois Penoir. We have a picture of them together, a white man and a black man, two different races coming together. And it was perceived 
Rugby was perceived as a white sport. Mandela made it his personal mission to rally an entire country around their national rugby team in 1995 at the World Cup, which was held in Johannesburg, South Africa. Something had to transcend their division. And rather than seeking retribution or retaliation, which is what our world does, right? Mandela humbled himself. He even wore what was considered, by the way, that's what white people wore and he put that on even after being imprisoned he put that on and he was coming and he's trying to reach across the aisle and what what he did was to lead his nation to something that transcended all of their division and hatred and animosity for one another and that nation rallied around their world cup team and they won the world cup in 1995 in their home country it's the only time they've ever won it And they rallied around something that was transcending their division. Here's what I want you to think about. In order for us as believers to be undivided and us to be unified as the believers of Christ in our church, with other churches in our community, with other churches across the nation and around the world, we as a church have to choose to rally around something that is also transcendent. Something that transcends and is so much bigger than ourselves. Something that goes beyond our political divisions. Something that goes beyond our racial divisions. One of the most heartbreaking things I've heard in growing, kind of knowing what church speak is like, is that I've heard it said before, I didn't come up with this, that one of the most segregated hours uh, in America is on Sunday morning at church time. And that ought to break our hearts, right? There should be more unity uh, among the church than that. Uh, We've got to believe in something that goes beyond our socioeconomic lines, something that goes beyond even our denominational lines. Those of us who have been divided in the church this way in America, this great country of freedom that we live in, how can we be unified in a time of political unrest And in a time of division that's in our nation right now, well, the way we're going to unify is we're going to have to tenaciously grab on to a transcendent truth. And the transcendent truth is the transcendent identity that is bigger than us. Let me show you what I mean, right? What does Scripture say? John 18. Go there with me. Let me give you John 18 in the Gospel of John. You should know the context of this is that the Jews have taken custody of Jesus. He has allowed them... Too, because he's sovereign. He, they didn't take him by force. He allowed them to take him. Amen, church, right? He allowed them to. He even says that, right? And they've, they're trying to, now they are trying to turn this into a political issue. They're trying to railroad Jesus, so to speak. And they want, him to, they want him to be put to death for declaring himself as the Messiah, as God's son. So they've cooked up this scheme Although they've beaten him all night, they've put him through false trials, now they're taking Jesus before the governing authority who was Rome, who were their oppressors, and now they're going to use that and try to manipulate this system and this situation to, to do away with their Jesus problem. So they go to Pilate and they say, this guy here says that he's the king of the Jews, Pilate who answered to Caesar in Rome. Rome was the world power. Caesar was the one who was the world power. He was the autocrat. If he wanted you dead, you were dead. All right? And now they're going and they're using it against Pilate and they're putting him in a place and they're saying, he says he's the king of the Jews. What are you going to do about it, Pilate? 
well, we know what you're supposed to do since we're such good citizens now and yield to Rome. You should put Jesus to death, right? And they hated the Romans. So here's what happens, okay? John 18, 24. Jesus replied uh, as, he, as Pilate comes before Jesus and he says this very directly. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate retorted? Your own people and their leading priest brought you to me for trial. Why? What have you done? In other words, are you cooking up an insurrection here? Jesus answered, and I want us to catch this today. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an, what does it say, church? Earthly kingdom. It is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. Now read the next part with me out loud. But my kingdom is not of this world. It is not of this world. What Jesus is in essence saying is, I am a king. I'm just not a temporary king. I am a king. And by the way, Pilate, what he's saying is, Look, I'm not looking to play politics with you or with Caesar or make some claim of a temporary Jewish kingship seeking to lead an insurrection against Caesar. As a matter of fact, you can check it out. I even told my boys just last night to put their swords away because this is not going to be won by military or political force. There is another thing that's going on here and it's bigger than all of this. I'm not just looking to liberate the Jews from Rome. I'm doing something bigger, which is liberating mankind from the sinful oppression they are under. That's my kingdom. Do you see what he's saying here? It's so much bigger than a a temporary kingdom on this earth. My kingdom is one that supersedes all of this. Pilate said, so you are a king. We know that they mocked him. They put a crown of thorns. You are a king. Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, now watch this. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. In other words, what Jesus is saying, I came here not to set up a temporary kingship and just be this temporary Jewish king that they want me to be. I came to show mankind what God is really like. I'm showing them what God is like. I'm revealing God to people. And the the truth there, the truth, uh, all those who love the truth recognize what I say is true. He's communicating this. My primary agenda, Jesus is saying, is not found in worldly politics. Number three, write this down. Jesus' kingdom and the gospel transcends our worldly and political kingdoms. It transcends that. He's communicating that it's not about this temporary political fix. It's not a temporary political agenda. Jesus was born a Jew by choice, right? He was born a Jew by choice, and that is his national identity, but he had dual citizenship. He's very clear to point out he's not interested in just being a temporary and solitary king of the Jews. That wasn't his mission. His mission was, and and, and think about what you know about Jesus. 
How many times did Jesus work miracles and they were watching and looking for a Messiah, but what were they looking for? A political leader. We're going to try to force you into being this political leader. He'd work a miracle and they'd be like, he's the one that's going to overthrow Rome. And he's like, no, I'm the one that's going to overthrow sin. It's so much bigger. It transcends Rome. And he would resist them time and time again. He would say, no, my mission is to go to the cross. My mission is to conquer sin and death. My mission is to bring mankind back into relationship with God. That is the gospel message of Jesus. I am, and, and in doing so, this is what you're going to see right now. I am, I am developing and forming a new nation. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take Israel, those who place their faith in Christ as the Messiah, and I'm going to take the church, the Gentiles, those that place their faith in Christ, and I'm going to fuse them together into one new nation. Watch this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. All right, in verse 8, he says, For it is by grace that we are saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, not lest any man boast. And then in verse 10, what does he say? Church, you, church, are the workmanship, the poem of God. You are the masterpiece of God, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You're not saved by good works. It's by his grace we're saved, right? Now watch what he says, church. Don't forget, verse 11, that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens. Well, that'll bless your heart, right? (laughs) You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. They didn't care too kindly for Gentiles. Who were so proud of their circumcision. By the way, Paul's a Jew. He's calling them out. They're so proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. They were so nationalistic above what God was even wanting to do in their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. There was a spiritual apartheid going on. You were excluded from, what does it say? Citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Now, I love the but now. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God. But now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is the gospel. He paid for our sins on the cross. In full, it is finished. Amen. Hallelujah, right? That's the gospel. What you need to know is that there was a barrier between God and man in the Holy of Holies in the temple of God. And only one man who was a high priest could go in on behalf of the rest of the nation. And sometimes he would get struck down. But also, as Gentiles, there was another barrier that was up in the temple of God. And you were pushed, if you were a Gentile, even pushed to the outskirts of that temple of God. You were even farther away from God. And if you crossed that barrier, do you know what happened? You were killed by the Jews. You would have a revolt on your hand. You were despised. You were an outsider. There was hostility between Jew and Gentile. Do you know what Jesus did when he came? He kicked down the wall between man and God and brought us together again. He kicked down the wall 
between Jew and Gentile, and he forged a new nation. And you are that nation. We are that nation. Look at this, verse 14. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into what church? One people. Do you know what that is? One nation. The word ethnos means, or where we get ethnicity, means people group. One people group, one nation. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down, kicked it down, the wall of hostility that separated us from God and from each other. He broke it down. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles. Now watch. By creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as what? One body. This is the church. Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility toward each other was put to what? Death. God forbid we're the ones that resurrect that hostility again. He says, no, God put that to death. Jesus did. He brought this good news of peace. That's the gospel. To you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near or nearer. Okay? Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers or foreigners. You are, what does it say? Citizens, along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now read the next part with me out loud. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. You know what I love? I love that this week I didn't ask Danny to sing that song, Cornerstone. Don't you love it when God puts his service together for his people? And, and I was going through my passage and I'm like, Jesus wants to remind us he's the foundation. He's the cornerstone, right? We are carefully joined together in him. Now what I want you to know is that is your new identity. In him. Becoming a holy temple for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know you're a holy, you are a, a holy temple? The Holy Spirit lives in you. You're not your own. You were bought at a price, right? Through Him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. God does not choose to keep Himself separated in the Holy of Holies now because of Jesus. Where does He live now, church? Right here. In our hearts. Now he dwells in us. And now we are his representation to the rest of the world. That is what we are called to be. So let me ask you, based upon what I've shown you in scripture, where is your primary citizenship? It is in heaven. That was a trick question, didn't you? Your primary citizenship is in, you could say in heaven, but here is what we would even say. It is in heaven. The nation of Jesus. The Jesus nation representing strong. You like that? The Jesus nation. The nation of Jesus. Our primary citizenship. Write this down. Number four. Just about done. Jesus forged a new nation through the gospel. 
he forged a new nation. As our citizenship uh, in that new nation, how are you made a citizen? It comes by faith in Christ. Not because you're born a Jew or because, and you need to hear this, you are born an American. It is by faith in Christ alone. Christ alone, cornerstone. Are you with me? You following me? Paul's saying Jesus tore down the divisions that men make and now you can place your faith in Jesus Christ. You can become instantly a citizen of heaven. By the way, don't wait till I pray in just a few minutes. Right now, you ought to be saying, if you've never become a citizen of heaven, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I say right now, why not say, Jesus Christ, I nominate you, I elect you to be the president of my life. Right? You are the president of my life. You are the chief of my life, the commander-in-chief. I it, in faith in you, receive this gift of eternal life. You don't have to wait for me to say, raise your hand or bow your head. You can say right now, Jesus, I want you. I pray that that happens today for some of us. And you know what happens? At that moment, you are born into this new nation. You are in a, a new citizenship. Big question. Are you a citizen of heaven? Second big question. If you are one, what if you finally realized, if you haven't realized this, that your identity in Christ eclipsed even your national identity? It eclipsed that. What if, by the way, that doesn't mean you don't love America. It doesn't mean you can't be patriotic. We want to be that. We want to love and value this country and what we, I mean, we love it. We get to live here. We're privileged. Every time I travel the world and I come back, I'm so thankful for America, aren't you? I'm so thankful for where we get to live. But what if our identity in Christ eclipsed our national identity? What if it eclipsed our education levels? It eclipsed uh, the neighborhoods that, uh, where we live and the socioeconomic status that we have? What if it eclipsed the color? of our skin and those barriers came down? What if it eclipsed our political agendas? What if our love and our, our transcendent passion for Jesus and his message of the gospel and our passion for unity in the church, what if we realized that that is so much bigger than what's going on in Washington today? What if we finally got that? But sadly, our isms get in the way, don't they? What I mean by isms are just kind of the things that we kind of identify with and maybe our biases. Let me give you a final example. Um, if you like baseball around here in the major leagues, who do we root for around here? Come on now. That's what I'm talking about, right? You, re you do remember this, right? Don't make me go all over door on you or anything. You remember that happened back earlier this year? All right, and uh, I mean, that was a big deal that kind of happened and it's kind of thought of as kind of a between a Canada and USA thing, right? And there was that kind of going on. We could probably take that off. I'm not promoting violence, okay? All right, but we just know that. What do we say? Yeah, don't mess with Texas, buddy, right? Okay, well, back in the summer, I had the opportunity to go to Montreal, which is in Canada, might I add, all right, for a church planters training retreat where we were gonna be working with church planters and this had just happened. This wasn't long after this had happened. And I was going up there, and I was going to be working with some church planters. And one of the guys was like, one of those Canadian church planters was like, now, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from Texas. 
and I could tell something changed, right? He was, was kind of like, uh, at that point, he was like, oh, you're probably a Rangers fan, right? And I'm like, yeah, don't mess with Texas, right? I mean, that was kind of beginning to go on a little bit there. And, uh, but we started, what did I say? What happened? That started kind of going on. Did I say something funny? What in the world is going on? Okay. And so I'm kind of giving it to him. He's giving it back to me. We're, I mean, it's happening at that point. And uh, we're having some fun. Now, I have to just confess, confessions of a pastor before you right now. I was not being totally spiritually mature at this point. I know you may find this hard to believe, but I am competitive. And the competitive juices started kicking in. And I remember even kind of thinking for a few moments, man, how could this guy support what the Blue Jays are like? Those guys are a bunch of jerks, you know? And, and my Texan was starting to eclipse my kingdom of God, okay? And we were, get, we were going back and forth, and I just remember. And then spiritual maturity, thank God for this, began to kick in in my life at that moment. <laughs> And maybe the Holy Spirit was speaking to me at that point. And, and as we were kind of giving it to each other, and I could tell it was starting to amp up just a little bit there, um, I said, you know, it, it's really kind of funny when you think about it, okay? What do we have here? When you, if you know the scenario, we have a, certainly a convoluted situation where it wasn't really even an American fighting a Canadian. A Canadian. What we have is a Venezuelan <laughs> who was fighting a Dominican that was representing Canada, and the, uh, Venezuela, I mean, do you see what I'm saying? It wasn't even this, and we both at that point started kind of laughing, and we even started laughing about when that happened, that fans were chanting, USA, USA, <laughs> kind of the animosity was coming there. So, but, but what's the deal? Man, that's my team. That's my team. Uh, why? Uh, why do we get kind of like amped up like this? Because that's our turf. It's all about a location, right? I was leaving the conference, and I remember even kind of jabbing him one more time, having fun, saying, we'll see you punks in the playoffs, right? <laughs> it could be, this might be my fault, Ranger fans. God may be was using the Rangers to humble me in my narcissistic way of thinking about it. Perhaps God was humbling me. And by the way, my church planter Canadian friend was was blowing up my phone during that series while we were being swept, <laughs> chanting, U-S-A, you. <laughs> Have I ever mentioned that church planters are punks? <laughs> and I can say that because I am one, okay? Here's the final thing that I want to give you today, okay? As a believer, your new nation transcends always your location. It should always transcend that, all right? What if we didn't think of place as our primary identity? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. What Jesus is saying is if you are in me, in Jesus Christ, your first nation is in him as a believer. Your nation in him transcends your location. Now, that doesn't mean we can't love America. We can love America, right, and love this nation that we get to be blessed. I got to, to do a, uh, an inv- the invocation for a retirement ceremony, ceremony for Chief Corey Wood at the United States Navy on Friday. And while the national anthem was being played and while all these, these great men were around me, that were, he, was being, he was retiring, and I just want you to know that I had chills up my spine. That patriotic kind of thing was happening there, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that, okay? 
I am so proud that I get to be American. Do you know what I'm even more proud of? That Jesus is in my life. That he's saved me. Not because I'm worthy of it. You just saw I am not. It's his grace, right? What if the way we loved America was just a little bit different than maybe the way we've been thinking about it? What if, as we understand our identity in Christ comes first, what if we started looking at the people of America that don't even agree with us? Maybe they're so far politically apart from us. What if we started looking at those people the way that Jesus looks at people, right? And I'm not saying if you disagree with us politically, you're not a Christian. I'm not saying, but I'm just saying, what if we started looking differently? What if we were, here's, here, here is the very last thing. I don't have time for this. I'll flesh it out more next week. But did you know that Peter calls us royal priests? A new nation, a holy nation. So Peter echoes this. What if we were as fired up about being priests for God as we were about pushing our political agendas? Do you know what a priest for God is all about? You're a royal priest. Did you know that? What is it, what it, in, in, in the history of Israel and in that culture, what did priests do? They represented God to the people. They brought God to the people. Do you see what our main responsibility is? We're to always be bringing God to people, no matter who's in political office. In fact, I would say we ought to amp it up even more because that's what changes. That's what transcends our nation. I want to just invite you to prayer with me this morning. I hope that you understand, one, God is in control. Two, Where is your primary citizenship found? If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I I encourage you to understand he loves you. He knocked down that wall of hostility so that you could be in relationship with him. He wants to call you friend, and that comes through faith in Christ. Those of you who are already Christians... Are you more about being a priest for God or more about your politics? Definitely engage the world, definitely get involved, but engaging the world means we're supposed to live as priests before God, representing Christ. He calls us a holy nation. That means we're set apart, we're different. We stand up, stand out, not obnoxiously, We show people what Jesus is like. That's what he did when he came and we're called to be little Christ. Are you showing people that? Are you being light in the darkness? Would you just offer yourself up right now and say, Lord, I want to be in your nation. And as I live in your nation, I want to represent you as a priest. We love and we pray for America. Pray for America right now. Ask God to give us a passion for seeing people come to faith in Christ above our political agendas. Our nation needs Jesus above all else. We do thank you, Lord, for making us a new nation, for giving us hope and changing our lives.
Would you change our nation through the church? It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And all God's people said, amen.